On August 16, 2022, the FDA issued its final ruling on the guidelines surrounding over-the-counter hearing aids. So here at This Week in Hearing, we've gathered a variety of different opinions from folks working in and around the hearing industry to weigh in on this historic ruling that has been years in the making. Enjoy. I'm Laurel Christensen. I'm the Chief Audiology Officer for GN Hearing. I was asked to answer some questions on the new OTC regulation, and so I'll do that. Um, pardon me while I look down and, uh, and read the questions here. So what's your overall take on the FDA OTC recommended guidelines? I would say my overall take on the guidelines is that I'm very happy that they're out. Uh, this has been a long time in coming, lots of debate, lots of conferences leading up to them. And then once we got the proposed rule, there was over a thousand comments to the proposed rule. So I'm just glad that we see the final rule and, and what the FDA um, will now stipulate for the product. I am extremely happy and we are as resound, very happy to expand the market. Uh, there's no doubt that having over-the-counter hearing aids available to all of those more than 50 million people who haven't done anything about their hearing loss um, is a good thing. Um, this is creating a new market. Um, it's a way to have hearing health care for many more people. And of course, you know, that's what we're all about is, is bringing hearing to more people. So uh, overall, very happy to see the OTC re regulation come out. Uh, the second question is, what are your thoughts on the electroacoustic output and gain maxims uh, maximums as it relates to amplification. So, you know, my thoughts on gain and output on the OTC regulation. The proposed rule had stated uh, that there would be no gain limitations and that the output maximums would be 115 or 120 dB SPL for compression, input compression. Um, you know, I, I guess I think those numbers were a little high in the proposed rule. Um, and I am definitely an advocate of having a gain maximum. Uh, however, the final rule has, um, lowered the input compression number to 117 as the max output and for non-input compression, 111. So I, I definitely think this is good. I think that these numbers needed to come down. Um, I, I wanted a gain limitation. I think from, from the perspective of sound quality and not having some, you know, linear peak clipping devices that aren't going to sound very good on the market. I was hoping that a gain limitation, uh, might help with that a bit, but I think with the 111 on non-input controlled compression, I think, um, I think the FDA has made a pretty good decision there. And, and I think we at Resound are overall happy with that. So the next question is, what, if any, foreseeable risk do you see with the legislation? So we don't see any risks uh, really with the legislation. I mean, the max outputs uh, are, are within a good region now. I think we are, I was a little uncomfortable with 120 with a linear hearing aid that, that could have put some output and, and gain into ears that I think would have been too high for mild to moderate hearing loss. Uh, but bringing it down to 117, you know, I don't, I don't think that there are risks there. I think the risks go more in, 
in just who comes on the market, uh, what these hearing aids are like. I, I do think this is going to be a little wild, wild west out there. I think you're going to have some very good products on the market. Um, we intend to put Jabra Enhance Plus um, on the market as an OTC product, and it will be a great product. It sounds good. It has directionality. You know, it does the things that this population needs. But I think that I already see going into my own uh, retail stores that it's almost impossible for a consumer to choose what's going to sound good, what's going to be good. You know, hopefully these things will shake out over time and, and the remainder will be high quality amplification. Because what I hate, uh, you know, I, what I would hate to see is for consumers to get into uh you know, amplification that isn't as good as what they could get and then think that's what all amplification will bring um, after trying an OTC product. So, you know, I think those are the risks. I also think, you know, I am an advocate of the hearing healthcare professional and uh, you'll always do better with counseling and the advice of a hearing healthcare professional. Um, hopefully this is the first step for these people that'll ultimately get them in the door um, to a hearing healthcare professional. So, you know, my conclusion is I don't think there's a lot of risk here. Uh, just some things I think to watch out for. The fourth question that you wanted me to answer was how do you see the overall market developing? Do you think OTC will expand the market? Uh, so, you know, what do I think about the overall market? I, my take and, and our take uh, for Resound is that it's going to be slow. Uh, this is going to be slow uptake. Uh, this is not going to be crystal clear uh, to the average consumer what's out there. And it's going to take time for, for people to try these products and, and to use them. So I, I think this is going to be a very slow uptake in, in these products. Um, but of course, I hope uh, that a lot of people will uh, get these high quality, the higher quality products and get them on. I, what we found with Jabra Enhanced Plus is that the average user, um, we, we've had that out there with professional dispensing. Uh, the average user is 18 years younger than the average age of a first time hearing aid user today. So these are good things for everyone. Uh, overall health. I mean, we, we know that, uh, there is a correlation between dementia and unaided, uh, hearing loss. So, I think that we want to get people into hearing aids. We want to serve this unserved population. And I think this creates a whole new market uh, for the uh, this unserved population. And I think, you know, they will ultimately get into a real sophisticated amplification in the future that will help them as their as their hearing loss progresses. The last question here, do you think this will have any significant impact on the existing prescriptive hearing aid market for those already getting hearing help from a professional? Um, I don't think this is going to have any impact on those that are already seeing a professional. Uh, you're, when you're seeing a professional, you are in prescriptive hearing aids, hearing aids that have you know, lots of good signal processing. It's very customized for your hearing loss. You have programs that, that steer when you move from a quiet environment to a noisy environment. They turn on directional microphones and you have the counseling and the support of a hearing healthcare professional, which is, is necessary, especially for people who have more hearing loss. So I don't think current users, I don't think this is going to impact current users at all. And I also think that, you know, this 
is going to be quite confusing um, to some, especially elderly hearing impaired when it comes out and they will still go and seek the help of a professional rather than trying to figure out which uh, OTC product on the market might be right for them. But overall, you know, my conclusion and the conclusion of GN hearing is this is a good thing. We are excited to see these regulations. We've been waiting a long time. We've worked hard on them. Um, we're excited to launch uh, Jobber Enhance Plus in this OTC category to help more people. Thanks. Hi there, Gary Rosenblum here from Oticon. Hope you're doing well. Thanks a lot for the opportunity to uh, to weigh in on your questions. Um, this is not a very formal video. I have a paper here with uh, my notes. I uh, wanted to get back to you in the in quick with a quick deadline, but I'm happy to do that. So thanks for the opportunity. Let's let's just jump in. First question was, what's your overall take on the FDA OTC recommended guidelines? Um, the take is that they haven't changed much since the draft guidelines. Uh, the one thing that obviously um, uh, changed was the uh, the output level, and that was good to see that the output level dropped to 117 uh, dBSPL. Um, but overall, we're, we're we've always been in favor of of OTC and uh, the guidelines, uh, the rule in general. It will increase access uh, for for patients. Uh, obviously, significant amount of mild mild hearing loss uh, sufferers out there, and this is obviously geared towards them. So happy to see that this uh, this is finally being. Um, released and uh, some of these patients will have an opportunity and more access to uh, less expensive hearing aids. Second question, what are your thoughts on the electroacoustic output and gain maximums as relates to amplification for individuals with perceived mild to moderate hearing loss? Uh, the output maximum, as I said, has been lowered to 117 dBL, uh, dB uh, SPL, uh, lowering the maximum output was based on recommendations from knowledgeable professionals as well as the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. So that's obviously a good thing. I'm very much in favor of a lower output maximum as excessive output limits uh, increase the possibility of causing uh, noise-induced hearing loss. Uh, the one challenge though is I, there are no gain maximums. Interesting, there are also no gain minimums given that patients are fitting themselves. Um, absence of both means, uh, absence of both means that the gain could either be too low to support a patient's loss or much higher and is needed to support uh, the loss itself. So some challenges there. Uh, number three was what, if any, foreseeable risks do you see with the legislation? Um, there's definitely risks to consumers. Um, you know, first of all, um, you know, if the patient doesn't seek appropriate care and uh, they only use uh, an over-the-counter device, um, but they feel satisfied with their over-the-counter device, are they doing what might be needed are they doing all they need to do to support whatever challenges they may have with their hearing? So that's obviously a concern. Uh, lack of consumer protections is also another risk to consumers. The FDA felt like this was outside of their purview. Yes, a lot of retailers have very um, uh, liberal return policies, but not necessarily always the case. Um, and it's important that consumers um, um, are protected. A lot of these consumers are people over 65 with fixed income. And, you know, paying $500 to $1,000 at CVS or Walgreens is a lot of money for them. And um, if they are not satisfied with this, they could be wasting a lot of their money and a lot of their money could be could be lost as a result. Uh, risk to professionals. I think there's a minimal risk there. Um, they just need to be ready to answer a lot of questions, but I don't really see uh, very much risk. I don't really see uh, a cannibalization effect happening um, because really the market is different. You have uh, OTC is really geared towards mild sufferers and 
most of the folks who are who are visiting um, hearing care professionals today are moderate to profound. Um, so I don't really see very much of a of an overlap there. Um, how do you see the overall market developing? Do you think OTC will expand the overall hearing aid market, overall hearing aid market, to get more people seeking help, or will it simply delay people seeking professional help? Like I said, I, I really don't. I, I really see the market um, developing in a in a very positive way. Um, most of us know the, the statistic that the the average time between diagnosis and actual fitting is about set, is about seven years. Um, I believe that that will shrink as a result of OTC, and that's that's a great thing for uh, the population of of um, people suffering with hearing loss out there or hearing impaired folks. Um, meaning they'll actually, with increased accessibility and possibly less expensive hearing aids, give a mild hearing loss that could uh, definitely um, bode well for you. And therefore, I, don't, I really don't see, um, you know, I don't think it'll delay people seeking professional help. I think it'll actually accelerate it because people may try an OTC hearing aid earlier because it's less expensive and it's more accessible. And then they're going to realize that they need more professional help and they need a more you know, traditional uh, high-tech hearing aid that uh, addresses a lot of their concerns that they may not get with an OTC hearing aid. Like specifically, you know, speech and noise is probably not something that's going to be uh, delivered quite well with an OTC hearing aid. Um, so I don't, I see it um, being very positive. I don't see um, the market developing in a way that will actually hurt professional um, uh, practitioners out there. Last question, do you think this will have any significant impact on the existing prescriptive hearing aid market for those already getting hearing help from a professional? Um, just as I said, I really don't think so. I think it's going to be very positive for them. I think a lot of people will come in um, with o o OTC hearing aids and ask uh, HCPs a lot of questions. Um, they'll be whether or not they should buy one, if they can actually buy one from an HCP, They'll be asking for them to be repaired, but it also gives our, our HCP customers an opportunity to trade people up uh, to a prescription hearing aid. So I really don't, um, I'm not too worried about the existing um, prescript, prescriptive hearing aid market. Um, I think, um, I don't think people are going to trade down to an OTC either. I think, you know, one of the reasons why um, the hearing care market is so successful in the United States is because of the care that uh, hearing care professionals offer. And, um, you know, the satisfaction rate in the United States is over 90 percent, um, as in comparison, Mercedes is only 76 percent. So we actually do a pretty good job, meaning we, meaning the overall hearing care industry, manufacturers, as well as uh, hearing care professionals, do a really good job delivering uh, quite a good service uh, to, to patients. So I'm not too worried about that. So overall, uh, you know, I think this is a this is a positive thing for our industry. Um, definitely brings a lot more awareness to, to hearing loss in the United States, which is obviously a big issue. So I look forward I look forward to seeing how, how things develop. Um, and that's it. So thank you for the opportunity to respond to your questions. Um, and sorry this couldn't be more formal video, but I appreciate the time and thank you very much. Take care. Starkey is uh, very pleased to see that the FDA has released their final regulatory approval for the new category of over-the-counter hearing aids. The differences between the draft guidelines, which have been issued earlier this year, and the final rule suggests that the FDA really reconsidered the evidence basis and lowered the maximum output from 
115 and 120 decibels maximum output down to 111 and 117 dB. Now that's a lot of jargon, but what that translates to is to a significant reduction in the exposure that individuals with mild to moderate hearing loss may encounter when wearing these devices. And so we applaud the FDA for that reduction in the overall output limitation. In the draft guideline and in the final ruling, the FDA has uh, decided to not incorporate gain limitations. We remain concerned about that issue in that some uh, individuals who have a mild degree of loss may still uh, experience considerable amount of amplification or the difference between the input and the output sounds. But uh, with that reduced uh, maximum output, we hope that it does provide that necessary protection to ensure that the safety and efficacy of these products are in keeping with the improvements in accessibility and affordability. Anything that increases the number of people who could benefit from hearing aids to wear hearing aids is a good thing. One of the issues surrounding this debate is, again, really this issue of um, whether uh, a, 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 the average hearing aid user really wants to go and purchase a device and fit it themselves, whether they have the technical capability to do that. The whole thing boils down to the user experience. How easily can patients self-fit these devices or get the physical components and the acoustic properties in a manner that will compare to that of a professional that has fitted the device? 85% of people who are fitted with amplification by a professional find that they're satisfied with both the technology and the service that they receive. Our concern is if a, a whole host of inexpensive devices flood the market that are self-fitted or require the individual to self-fit and adjust the devices that we'll see a reduction in this satisfaction. An additional concern that Starkey has relates to the Attorney's General's authority over being able to um, exert additional controls and consumer protection uh, at the state level, which is preempted by this national law. Why is that important? Well, uh, for one thing, there's no real well-defined policy for return for credit or even trial periods that is mandated in the FDA's final regulatory guidelines. So the consumer or the buyer needs to beware, and it does limit the AG's authority to impose these additional consumer protections at their state level. Many people may say, well, how are, how are hearing aids and, and these over-the-counter hearing aids really any different than eyeglass readers? Uh, what's the fundamental difference? And it's a great question. Well, with eyeglasses also, because of the conductive nature of visual impairment, eyeglasses are really otherwise just refocusing the light onto a healthy sensory system. Therefore, the number of components in glasses really are on the order of single digits or maybe 10 components, whereas in hearing aids, there's hundreds of components necessary to provide frequency-specific amplification and preventing loud sounds from being uncomfortable. There's a whole host of different sophistication, even in those simple devices for mild to moderate hearing loss. Hi, this is John Luna, CEO of New Hearing Limited, and I'm answering questions on the OTC hearing aid rule publication of the final rule on August 17th, 2022. 
for Hearing Health and Technology Matters. Thanks for including us in the conversation, Kevin. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, provide comments. So for the first question, what's your overall take on the FDA OTC recommended guidelines? From my perspective, this changes the landscape for consumers in America, as well as for the hearing aid industry and their distribution of hearing aids um, as incumbents, as well as new entrants into the category. The reality is the FDA, at least in their final rule publication, believes that 90% of products that are currently on the market as exempt products could be reclassified as 800.30 over-the-counter hearing aids. That is quite a lot of options for consumers. And will that happen? Time will tell. We know that August 17th is the first commercialization date where it'll be legally uh, uh, able to sell OTC hearing aids in retail or online. Uh, and the over-the-counter aspect of that means the retailers will be able to position uh, a, a hearing aid category or hearing solutions category in their retail establishments um, beginning this October. Will that be one product? Will that be a dozen products or more? That's to be seen. But it does mean that consumers will have the choice for accessible and affordable hearing aids for perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. Now, what does that change for the overall rule publication? It means that safety and efficacy are critical. It means that, you know, from our perspective as a manufacturer, we've got to make sure that our products meet the standards that the FDA has put out and don't exceed any of the specifications. Uh, we are compliant with that. We have actually a 510K uh, in the clearance process with the FDA, and uh, we're using substantially equivalent as the uh, predicate uh, against a predicate device in the category for a self-fitting hearing aid. So for OTC self-fitting hearing aids that require a 510K process, I think the safety and efficacy side of it is very apparent. It's the 3305s that come in, the those that are currently exempt, that I think the rule you know, uh, is still putting the onus back on the manufacturers to meet those specifications and, and document that as well as have a quality management system uh, established for medical devices. The overall guidelines uh, and recommended guidelines, um, you know, on the labeling side for OTC hearing aids was not a surprise. Uh, what I found interesting was the labeling requirements for prescriptive devices that came out of this ruling as well. Uh, and that puts then a little bit of burden back on the manufacturers that have uh, those hearing aids that meet a moderate to severe hearing range that are in the prescriptive category with regard to labeling requirements. I think overall, it'll provide access to consumers and that access will be proven out over time. Second question is, what are your thoughts on the electroacoustic output and gain maximums as it relates to the amplification for individuals with perceived mild to moderate hearing loss? I think it's, it's fine. <clears throat> the output limits that were uh, proposed were a little bit higher in the proposed rule from October of 2021. Um, but the FDA, uh, listening to all of the comments uh, in both the scientific uh, community as well as uh, looking at case studies and then uh, their experts, uh, made the determination that they were going to move the lower limits to 111 on OSPL 90 and 117 dBSPL for the upper limit if you have input compression. Uh, so I think that will still meet the needs of consumers for the uh, ability to get 
benefit or efficacy from the devices in the mild to moderate hearing loss range without the the concern that you know you could damage your hearing over a period of time. I think by reducing it by 3 dB, uh, it allows for a, a doubling or tripling of the time exposure a consumer could uh, experience in a loud environment uh, uh, with an output uh, or uh, an ambient noise in the upper limits uh, based on OSHA standards. And I think they looked at everything from a safety standpoint while focusing to make sure it was still gonna be effective. And I think that that compromise uh, and their determination of 111 and 117, respectively, uh, will still meet the needs of the consumer with the gain requirements, as well as allow for uh, efficacy of the device and enough amplification to meet that moderate hearing loss uh, based on having a volume control and then having some ability to personalize the device subjectively or objectively, uh, depending on the type of device that we're talking about for over-the-counter hearing devices. Uh, number three, what, if any, foreseeable risks do you see in the legislation? <clears throat> in, in reading the rule a few times, I don't see a lot of risk. I think it was very thoughtful uh, with regard to um, the overall rule and how it lays out the definitions and the responses that the FDA had uh, for, for the different comments uh, as bucketed or grouped uh, in the responses. Uh, in the, the final rule publication. So I think they were thoughtful. Uh, they did make some decisions uh, to uh, move away from some of the proposed rule uh, guidelines. Um, and I think those responses uh, adequately described their reasoning and, uh, and also allow the FDA in the future to modify or amend or come back and revisit uh, based on safety and efficacy and uh, you know, some of the things that'll play out over the next 12, 24, 36 months as this OTC category enters retail in the United States. One of the other things that I see as a potential risk is challenges from states on the preemptions. Um, what I would say there is we'll just have to wait and see how states' attorney generals respond and if there are any challenges to the rule, which I don't think will have a positive outcome at the state level, but it does define what a licensed professional can do versus a dispenser in the OTC world that doesn't require licensure. So I think there's semantics and there's some clarification that needs to be uh, challenged and perhaps clarified but there is, is a uh, informal process for that, and that was laid out in the proposed rule to allow states to uh, states and associations, uh, industry associations and otherwise, to ask for clarification without having to go through a formal uh, uh, legal process or a formal process. And I think the FDA, from my experience, has been more than willing to uh, explain that and have those conversations with individuals, uh, whether that's um, the public whether that's the manufacturers or whether that's state legislatures. So I think there, there will be some additional clarification that comes out of this, but I think that'll be on a case-by-case -case basis based on uh, how each uh, jurisdiction responds based on their own rules and current rules and past rules historically and how they have controlled the industry and controlled the, um, the licensing side of it, as well as the rules for consumers as regarding the conditions of sale. And so I think the conditions of sale 
are something that have changed here and that will be changed forever in how consumers purchase and have access to uh, mild to moderate amplification products in the OTC hearing aid category. Number three, uh, no, sorry, number four, um, how do you see the overall market developing? Do you think OTC will expand the overall hearing aid market and get more people seeking help or will it simply delay people seeking professional help? Well, I hope it's not the latter. Um, regarding you know, delaying help, you know, most people do delay, right? It's not like your eyes where you know you have an issue and you things are blurry and you have, a, a, you, you know your vision's changed because in certain situations and over time, uh, you've noticed uh, an acuity change in how you uh, visualize things, whether that's print on paper, whether that's on your phone, whether that's on your computer, whatever that is. Uh, vision, we, we take care of and we do it for ourselves, right? Because of that frustration factor. Hearing is hidden. Hearing loss is something that, um, you know, it's your own uh, reality of the world around you acoustically. And so although it is one of your senses, it's one of the ones that um, you have less tangible note to. And, you know, we second guess ourselves a lot of times. The average consumer, as you know, uh, is five to seven years before they realize they may have an issue and before they do something about it. I think what we're going to see is a younger consumer come in um, and be able to self-test, uh, be able to uh, self-fit, uh, and be able to try products sooner than later. Our average consumer is in their early 50s, and that shows that in uh, the world of devices that have the ability to do more than just amplify hearing, they have the ability to stream video conferences like this. Uh, they have the ability to uh, stream music, media, have active noise cancellation, uh, as well as hearing amplification. It will allow uh, a consumer to have uh, a different form factor, come in at an earlier date at a much lower price point and help themselves uh, if they have you know, perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. And try devices that in form factor and function meet their needs. Some consumers will want to use an app. Some consumers won't want to use an app and they'll want onboard controls. That'll play out over time. But you have different age groups. You have different uh, abilities regarding tech savviness uh, and the willingness to self-fit or go uh, higher in technology and, um, and features. Uh, and then you've got the simplicity of some devices as well. So I think what you're going to see is um, products that raise the water level uh, for all manufacturers in the ability to meet consumers' needs and demands with the millions of people that have uh, the need. And I think that it will <clears throat> bring people into their hearing healthcare journey sooner than later. Uh, the average consumers you know, currently in clinical, uh, in the prescriptive side of things, historically has been in their early 70s. And I think that'll change. I think we'll drive it down because of cost, accessibility, and the consumers will make their choice and have the ability to see it over and over in retail. It's not like going to a private practice clinic where you may go once every couple of years, or you may have walked by it and looked through the window, uh, but you never want to cross that threshold because one, people don't want to admit they've got uh, a loss or don't, they want to know, but they don't want to know in many cases. Uh, and, you know, secondly, uh, they, they have that perception of, of cost uh, and the stigma around it or the look uh, of existing devices on the market. Next question, number five, do you think this will have any significant impact on the existing prescriptive hearing aid market for those already getting hearing help from a professional? 
I think that's a great question. And that will also prove out over time. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it'll be a significant impact. I think, you know, as you know, I owned 15, I've done a lot in this industry over 30 years. And I've owned 15 retail audiology and hearing aid uh, locations that did diagnostics, that had physician referrals, um, that um, had AUD and, and master's degree audiologists and hearing instrument specialists working for me. Uh, and I've I've been on the industry side and I've been on the consumer side, uh, as well as I grew up with, you know, hearing impaired uh, parents and grandparents that purchased hearing aids. You know, I, I know from personal experience, I also know from owning 15 uh, audiology retail clinics that, um, you know, consumers make their choice based on need and based on a perceived need. And that need uh, in hearing isn't always brought on by themselves. They may know they have an issue uh, hearing in certain situations, and they may know they have difficulty understanding or asking people to repeat. And there's a lot of symptoms of hearing loss that we're all aware of. But I think one of the things that occurs is somebody else in their life uh, is either frustrated or asking them to, to seek help or someone that they want to interact with in their life, uh, whether that's an adult child, a spouse, a significant other, friends, social groups, children, grandchildren, whomever that is, uh, or in their work environment where they're missing certain things, that's when they're going to need help, right? Uh, but it's, it's in those environments that they typically do something about their hearing. And so what I think will happen is there will be an impact on those that are already in the system, so to speak, that already have hearing aids, they're owners of hearing aids. Uh, they may, at the time of repurchase, decide to purchase something that may be better than they currently have that's available now over the counter at a fraction of the cost. Uh, so I think that, you know, having owned retail clinics and knowing that the, the resale cycle for consumers uh, and the repurchase cycle for consumers is typically at the, the three to five year mark, depending on the level of technology and if their hearing needs change. I think we're going to see that impact um, in the overall uh, resale of existing consumers that already own hearing aids that have seen a professional previously. I think if these consumers are made aware of the uh, OTC legislation. They understand that they have options outside of a professional clinic uh, or professional licensed seller of hearing aids that they have purchased product from before. Uh, and they uh, know that they can uh, purchase these at, you know, let's say under $1,000 versus $4,000 or under $2,000 versus six or $8,000. And those professional services are separated. Then it's really, in, uh, you know, up to that professional licensed individual that sold that consumer or patient or client, however they refer to it, um, a hearing aid to, to understand that value of not only the relationship and all the, the time spent to get them to be satisfied and successful with their current product, but also then what that value is to keep and maintain their, uh, their relationship and those services ongoing as they, uh, you know, graduate to their next device or, or move to a, um, you know, a, a different style of device. And I think what you're going to see is some of these professionals offering then OTC hearing aids and unbundling their services. You know, I've been in the industry, as I said, uh, you know, for many years, uh, you know, 30 years ago, we were talking about unbundling. It was one of the big topics before uh, even the AUD program came out. And it was, we need to unbundle our services. We need to you know, have professional services separate from devices. You know, 30 years later, flash forward, I mean, we're here, this is the reality. And uh, the industry's kind of done it to themselves by not unbundling, 
Um, and uh, also, you know, by having fitting algorithms that are wonderful, right? The first fit algorithms uh, from manufacturers have made, uh, you know, the fitting of devices in clinic um, much easier than it ever was uh, previously. And so taking that technology now to the consumer level and putting it in the consumer's hands and having the ability to fit the product with a touch of a button or a, a, a few sequences of things that they need to do to have it automatically fit based on, uh, you know, proven algorithms, um, I, th I think is something that as an industry we've done to ourselves. And I think that, you know, we knew this was coming for seven years. And I think, uh, you know, for those that have been part of this for the last seven or eight years, uh, and even going on 10 years from the initial discussions of this, um, I think that, you know, we should be prepared and, uh, you know, should have planned for it. So I think that if we have it and we're surprised, uh, that's on us. But I think that it will impact um, professional licensed individuals who dispense and sell hearing aids for the prescriptive audience of moderate to severe uh, differently than those that um, have been preparing for this and are prepared to uh, embrace the OTC hearing aid side of it and uh, help those with mild to moderate hearing loss be successful with it in an unbundled service model. So, you know, retail and over-the-counter is one aspect of it. And then, you know, what is the value of that professional interaction if the consumer chooses to have that afterwards? Uh, and some of these will be bundled, uh, or not bundled, I should say, but um, included with uh, some of the products that are going to be available OTC. Um, at no additional charge. So, you know, that's something also that could impact the professional uh, community. So we'll see what happens. We'll see which age groups and demographics play out by uh, different types of hearing loss, different needs, and uh, the ability to uh, value that professional service and that interaction versus those that would prefer to do it themselves in uh, OTC via self-fit hearing aids or OTC self-care hearing aids. All right. I think that's it. If you have any other questions, please let me know. Appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and uh, give me a call or shoot me an email if you have any questions. Take care.